December 5, 2010, lecture discussion number 26 on the book of Romans. And wow, it's December 5. That's really amazing just in itself because that means there's three more weeks of total darkness. Then we begin to gain what? What do we get after that? We get two seconds a day, I think. And uh, I, I really, I shouldn't say that really, actually, because I, as I mentioned, there are people who follow us on the Internet, and there are hundreds of them now. And, in fact, there might be over a thousand of them now, if not more than that. And we're at, as I said, those three places. And I'm saying this for their benefit. Uh, we're at iTunes, we're at Podbean, and we're now at SermonAudio.com. SermonAudio.com. For those of you who are listening, are some of the older sermons. Um, Dave is putting on sermons that are uh, four, five, six years old and subjects that I've covered in the past. Um, We go back almost 20 years. I go back almost 20 years, and most of the people have records of me 15 years ago or so. So Dave is trying to make kind of an archive thing out of that, and feel free to go there. Podbean and iTunes are up to date. They are the most recent sermons, and they go back about 50 or 60 sermons for those of you who are trying to catch up with the class. So I shouldn't say that we're only getting, people don't know that we're in Anchorage, Alaska, and we are, and they think that we're in total darkness, and we're not in total darkness. We're in Anchorage. Barrow is in total darkness. Anchorage, we get about what? What do we get? Four and a half hours of light now? 5.36, is that what we get? Well, to be fair, five hours of light per day is not very much. It seems like total darkness. I can sleep through the lighted part without any difficulty. Anyway, we are almost headed out of the long black tunnel of winter here in about three weeks, right? And then all we got left is six months of winter. And that's true. That is absolutely true because I don't count May. I I tell that story a lot. I almost froze to death in May. I was fishing. I went fishing. Hey, let's go fishing. Two feet of snow collapsed my tent and almost froze to death. It was five below. May. I don't count May. The summer month of May is is an oxymoron. Okay, but anyway, the real wow, all of that to get to this, the real wow is that we are now halfway done. We're at lecture number 26 in this series on the book of Romans. We're all the way to Romans chapter 3. In 26 lectures, and uh, I, I was going to go one year, so we're halfway there. I do extend the, uh, um, I have the option of going further, and that, that usually happens. So if you think we're halfway through, uh, we're probably not. Contain your excitement. Okay, where did we leave off last week? For those of you who made it in, where did we leave off? Do you remember? That's right. We're at Matthew 20 and Romans 3 because there are a there is a relationship between the two. Romans 3, none are righteous. Those are the words of David. David writes some incredible words in Romans 3 and they compare to the denarius of Matthew 20 in that the attitude of David is extraordinary what Paul reflects in Romans 3. And the question becomes, and I'll ask it over and over again through this series, how did David get like he got? And what is going on with the denarius in Matthew 20? And so we're going to take another run at Matthew 20 pretty much for, um, for today, mostly because uh, we had a little glitch uh, last week with regard to the tape, and so I need to repeat a little bit of it. And then I've got to recap for those who believe that Thanksgiving is a four-day eating event, and you didn't make it last week. It is a four-day eating event. Anyway, some people needed mechanical or hydraulic assistance to get here, and they didn't. They were absent once again. Anyway, Romans 3.1 asks a profound question. The thesis statement of Romans 3 is Romans 3.1. What advantage has the Jew? Paul anticipates that question because he had just made the case that salvation is by grace alone. In other words, he posed it this way. If salvation is by grace alone, and it is then what advantage does the Jew have? Why should the Jew practice the ordinances of the oracles of God and essentially the Old Testament? Why should the Jew be circumcised? Why the sacrificial system? Why the ceremonial services or system? I'm sorry, why the feast days? Why all of the Torah? What advantage does the Jew have if salvation is by grace alone and salvation is by grace alone? And Paul uh, answers his own question. 
he responds much in every way. And that's where we are. We took off now to find out what Paul meant by that. Why is it much in every way? And that's the point at which we went to Matthew 21 through 16, where we found the first and the lasters, if you will. Those who are first and those who are last. And that's a very important thing to understand because you have to define the difference between the first and the last. And then Christ, God himself, says to us, the last shall be first and the first shall be last. And what does he mean by last and first? So he defines them for us, and we have to figure out what those definitions are. The first, as you remember from last week, and I'll, as I said, I'll try to catch you up if you weren't here. The first um, were the, the ones that came first to the vineyard. The owner of the vineyard goes and into the marketplace, and he finds people in the marketplace, and he hires the firsts. And he sends them into his field or his vineyard more specifically. And then the ones who come later, some actually who come in the very last hour. And you're on Hebrew time, so you have to know. The first came at 6 in the morning, and Hebrew time is 12 hours. And the last came at 5 o'clock, and the day is over at 6. So if they came at 5, that means they came at the 11th hour of the 12-hour day. So the first were the ones that started the morning were immediately hired by the owner, which in itself is an incredible thing. The owner has come to hire. The first thing you have to do is ask yourself, why? Because you must realize who the owner is. And then he keeps coming back and hiring and hiring and hiring and hiring. And he even hires some. Uh, how far away, by the way, do you think the marketplace is from the vineyard? He hires them on the 11th hour. He hires them on the... At 5 p.m., did they, they probably barely make it. And, I, and actually, I'm going to make the case eventually that they do barely make it to the vineyard. So I have the firsts and I have the lasts. And they all receive the exact same wage, one denarius. And so that's where we are, pretty much. And then the question becomes, do you see the similarities? And I hope you put it together as quickly as you should have. I hope that you do. What advantage is it to be a Jew if salvation is by grace and grace alone? The question of Matthew 20 would be, what advantage is it to be the first one hired? If we're all going to receive the same wage. What advantage is it to labor all day in the heat, bear the burden of the 12-hour day when the ones who come late, who actually come last, who barely make it, who work probably five minutes... They get their hard hat, they go through their safety inspection, and they get the same wage as you. How happy are you about that? Is that fair? See, the answer to that question both times is you are very happy about that, and that is extremely fair. It is fair beyond human understanding. But most people say the opposite of that, and that's too bad. You receive the exact same wage. What advantage is it to come first then, to work in the field all day? The answer is the same as Romans 3.1, the same as you answer the Jew. What advantage is it to be a Jew and to have the sacrificial system, to have the oracles of God, to have the feast days, to have the ceremonial system, to have all that wisdom? All that understanding of God. What advantage is that? Much in every way is the same answer. So the challenge is to see why that is so. And I hope I gave you enough of a clue that you would know. Now, as I alluded, many, the shallow readers of Scripture, will read Matthew 20 and find themselves agreeing with the firsters, or the ones who came first to the field. And such a shame that is. When you find yourself agreeing in Matthew 20 with the ones who are complaining to Christ about what wages they're getting, alarm bells should be going off in your head that you are in serious trouble. That should be a loud warning siren. Plane is going down. Ding, ding, ding. What's the warning sign? Or the plane is going down. All I can think of is danger, Will Robinson. That's all I got. Okay. Your train has left the tracks. Iceberg ahead. I heard a 
And I shouldn't get into that. I won't. Never mind. It's just a really good iceberg joke. You know, a guy, a guy said that uh, the difference between Congress and the crew of the Titanic is the crew of the Titanic tried to miss the iceberg. <laughs> and to call the crew of the Titanic and Congress uh, uh, equivalent was a great, great insult to the crew of the Titanic. I try not to do political things of any kind, lest I offend you. Okay, I, I don't care. I don't care if I offend you at all. <laughs> That's never been, been a problem for me, as you know. There's four or five visitors here. I'm trying to put on my best possible face. <coughs> okay. It won't work, will it? Okay. You see, I want you to consider the complaints of the first to be hired. They complain. Who is the owner in that story? The owner is Christ himself. They are complaining to Christ. When you find yourself complaining to God, you are already in real big, heavy kimchi. You're making mistakes by the hundreds of thousands per second. And so when when you are in front of God and you're thinking about complaining, I'm going to give you some really good advice. Shut up. <laughs> no, just shut up. Just sit there, bite your hand off or whatever you've got to do, but do not talk. It's not good. Have the sense to not complain to God. So I want you to consider who they are complaining to. And by just complaining what you're saying about the person you're complaining to. If I'm complaining to you, what am I saying about you? Yeah, there's a fairness issue. There's a competency issue. There's some problem that you have. I have better judgment than you because I'm complaining to you. So consider who it is that they are bringing their complaints to. And then consider what they're complaining about if you find yourself agreeing with them. Their complaints are essentially accusations and they are totally without any understanding. As is always the case when you are complaining to God. If you find yourself complaining to God, it is because you are totally without any understanding. Let me say it another way. The ones who came first to the vineyard to work, to labor in the heat of the day, are completely clueless in this parable. They have not one small shred, not one wisp of smoke of comprehension as to what is going on here. What is going on here? What is a denarius? See, you first have to define denarius. He gives them one denarius. So you end up, as we know, if you were here previously or you listen by the Internet, the denarius is equal to blood, his blood, which means that it's equal to life, which means that it is infinite. So the denarius is infinite blood life of God himself. That's what's going on. That's the issue. And you're complaining about receiving infinite blood life because you had to stand in the field for 12 hours. And you think you deserve more than infinite blood life. And so again, there is no understanding. Please don't find yourself agreeing with those who are empty, barren of wisdom, do not champion foolishness. And often I hear people say to me, I do not understand Matthew 20 because the owner is so unfair. Whoa. Sit down. Try not to talk when you think like that. Okay, remember from last Sunday the key points of this parable. God, Jesus Christ, same thing. Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. He's the Word made flesh. He's the I Am. He is the landowner in this parable. He is the possessor of all things. It's one of his titles, Genesis 14:22. The key to all of this, he's the possessor of all things. He's God himself. He does not need any laborers to work in his field. If you are going through life saying things like this, God needs me. God's got a he's got a great vine over there and I got to pick the fruit for him. 
I'm a fruit picker, and it's not going to get any fruit unless I'm doing it. God has to have my help. By the way, if Cliffside is wiped out in the next 15 seconds, there goes your retirement worries, huh? God will be in good shape. He does not need me. He does not need you. He does not need Cliffside. He's who? He is the owner. So the first thing you do is he's coming to the marketplace to hire laborers that he doesn't need at all. In fact, it's worse than that. We, humanity, the laborers, when I say we, I mean humanity here, we're not, we're going to go into his vineyard and we're going to do what? We're going to destroy his vineyard. That's us. It's what we do. It's like hiring a dog or getting a dog and all it does is tear your house to pieces and bite you. That's us. That's what it, what we're going to do. We're going to go into his vineyard. We're not only not going to produce anything for him, we're going to tear his vineyard to pieces. Humanity in this parable are the lazy, selfish, destructive, and the worthless. And we produce nothing of value. Sorry if you think you do. Not really. Sorry. That's a fake sorry. We produce filth. Isaiah 64, 6. You should... Write that in the first page of your Bible. We produce filth. Job fifteen fourteen through 16. We produce filth. He doesn't need us. There's no value to our work to him. Our work is what? Filthy rags. That's right. It's what it is. So, why does he hire us? Why does he send us into the vineyard? See, that's the key to the story. So those who came first, who were hired first by God, went into his vineyard and made a mess for 12 hours and tore the vineyard to pieces. And then they what? They complain. You see whose side you're on now? Okay, hopefully you have deduced the obvious questions now. God is omniscient. He knows all things. Why would he do this? Why does he seek after man? Not only does he hire these guys, but he comes back at 9 o'clock. He comes back at 12. He comes back at at 3. And he comes back at 5. And he gets as many filthy rag producers as he can. And he puts them all in the vineyard. Why does he do it? What's his motive? And he returns again and again and seeks and seeks and he hires more and more. He fills the vineyard up with useless workers. Not the way they teach you to run a business. He's doing the opposite of us, isn't he? His ways are not our ways. He has a very interesting, complex, incredible plan. So Jesus Christ is outside of created order. Keep that always in the forefront. He is the creator of space, matter, energy, and time. He's outside of time. It's why he calls himself the I Am. He is always in the present. He sees time as an open table. It is why he is the I Am in the present all the time. And we are not ever in the present. We have no present. We have a past and we have a future. See me later if you don't think so. If you think you have a present, I will ask you the first question. How long is your present? So think about that and then come and see me. But he is the I Am. His present is infinite. Our present His future or past, right? And so he's omniscient and he's outside of time. So he knows the workers that he hires will produce filth and only filth. He knows it. So you have a landowner who goes to a marketplace to hire somebody that he knows is going to trash his business. Why does he do it? What's his reason? And then he also knows, because he's omniscient and he's outside of time, that they're going to complain and they're going to demand payment for it. So again, knowing all things, he still does it. And he returns and he returns and he returns and he returns and he seeks and he seeks and he seeks and he seeks. So you have to figure out why. Why does he do it? What is the point? And by the way, can Christ hire any good workers? 
No. There are none. There is not one who does good. There is none righteous. No, not one. Destruction and misery are in their ways. That is Romans 3, 9 through 18, written by who? King David. David wrote that. Paul quoted it. And we need to know why. That's where we're headed next week. Is trying. And by the way, Psalm 51, which is prominent, those were psalms pulled out and put together by Paul. Psalm 51 is prominent because we will prove very easily that David wrote that after Nathan convicted him with regard to the death or the murder of Uriah and the adultery with Bathsheba. David writes, none, no, not one, are righteous, none good. No one seeks after God. Nobody does good. So Christ cannot hire. God cannot. People ask me all the time, why did God choose you to be a pastor? Ha! Because I'm the best he's got. Thank you for laughing. He has a, if you want to look at it this way, and I do it all the time, I say this all the time, there's a big vat. And it's filled to the top with sewage. And you're asking him, you're saying, pick me, I'm the cleanest one. You're completely caked in sewage. And you're bobbing around in there and you're pointing fingers at the other people completely caked in sewage. And you're saying, my sewage is better than your sewage. I smell better than you. God should pick me. He's going to pick somebody totally covered in caked and encapsulated in sewage. That's who he has to pick. How come? That's the way it is. The world is completely corrupted. Did you break your hand, by the way? Okay, I was worried. It looked like an injury, and you have to work tomorrow with me. We're painting doors tomorrow, and I'll be there before noon, maybe. You have to put the heat on tonight back again. Did you do that? Okay. Don't pay attention to that. That's my little hobby that I have. Okay. My point is, all of us, you, me, them, they, poisoned. That's why I thought of it, by the way, because I have the word poisoned written here. And what am I doing up there? I'm being poisoned every single day. I spray that lacquer. But all of us were poisoned. Our mouths are full of cursing, deceitful tongues. Romans 3, 9 through 18. All of that's there. You should, if you're going to memorize something that, uh, of the Psalms, memorize Romans 3, 9 through 18. We are covered in filth. We produce filth. And then what do we do? We lie about it. That's what we do. We're covered in it. We are, our work is, is rags. And then we lie. So that's the workers that he gets. We are the workers that Jesus Christ hires for his vineyard. Again, why does he bother to hire anyone? Much less come back. He doesn't need us. Much less he comes back to the marketplace to hire again and again. I want you to work that out yourself. And I'm trying to get you to do it without laying it out for you. Okay. Now again, look at Matthew 28 through 16. We're going to look at these complainers again today, and we're going to read it again, and we're going to keep in mind what they say and who they are saying it to, because they are before the Lord God Almighty, omniscient God in the flesh. They are before Him, and if you know anything, you need to know that God has what? Christ has what? He has the videotape. He knows all things. You cannot fool him. Why do you lie to him? What is wrong with you? And you would think that the, that, that would matter to those who complain. You would think they would know, okay, he's, he hired us, we worked in his field, and he has the videotape. He knows what we did. He knows what we said. He knows all things. It's right there. And instead, they're going to do what they do. So let's go to the text. Open up your textbooks. Matthew 20. We're going to read only 8 through 16. And again, a lot of this was covered last week for those who follow by uh, CD. Some of it, however, got 
erased accidentally. That is why TJ gets no food today. I'm only kidding, but don't let him get very much food. And then we will uh, hopefully blend it all together. Okay, here we go. Matthew 20, verse 8. I'm skipping the first part of it, the agreement, and the rest of that. We'll get to it as we go. So when evening had come, the owner of the vineyard said to his steward, or foreman, Call the laborers and give them their wages, beginning with the last to the first. In other words, the ones that he hired at 5 p.m. that barely got their uniform, barely stood behind the counter, barely got through human resources, hardly even got into the vineyard, they get paid first. Now, I want you to begin to think about the process. Call the laborers and give them their wages, beginning with the last to the first. I want you to begin to put yourself in the position of everybody that's there. And when those came who were hired about the eleventh hour, they each received a denarius. They each got blood, life, infinite. Did they earn it? You can't earn it. How much time does it take you to get blood that has life in it. There is no other blood with life in it except for Christ's blood. How much does it cost you? How much time do you need to spend to earn that? It's not earnable. That's that's the whole point of salvation by grace and grace alone. There's no way you can ever earn it. It must be given to you. Okay? They each received a denarius, but when the first came, they supposed that they would receive more, and they likewise each received a denarius. And when they had received, they complained against the landowner, saying, These last men have worked one hour, and you made them equal to us, who have borne the burden and the heat of the day. That's true, but I just point this out. He said under contract for those of you who cannot hear him, and that's for the Internet people. Notice I'm worrying about the Internet people. Do you know why? There's thousands of them, and they can come and take our stuff if they ever organize. So we've got to kind of keep them at bay. Fortunately, they, they need visas. Then again, that doesn't seem to stop anybody nowadays, does it? Okay. Sorry about that. Not, 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 not really. I'm not really sorry, am I? Saying, these last men have worked only one hour and you made them equal to us. You made them equal to us who have borne the burden and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them. Uh, ooh, that's important. One of them. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? I'm sorry. But he answered one of them and said, I forgot this part, friend. Wow. One of them got called friend. That should make lights go off. Bang, 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 bang. Ding, ding, ding. He answers one of them and says, friend. And then he asks a question. Ooh, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go your way. I wish to give to this last man as to you. It is not lawful for me. Oh, I'm sorry. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things? What did he say about us right there? You are one of his own. I am one of his own things. If you think, if, and, and I know no one here, but if there are people listening who think that God does not own them and has no right to own them and they are completely autonomous from God and they, he, can, he can't do anything to them because, well, they're, they're idiots if they think that. God owns us. He owns all of us. The questions become, as I asked last week, does he have the right to do what he wants with that he owns? Does he have the right to rule over you, over me? Over us. Here's some, here's some news. Yes. Here's some more news. He's going to, whether we like it or not. 
Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things? Or is your eye evil because I am good? So the last will be first and the first last. For many are called but few chosen. We'll get into that next week. That is a solemn thing. That is not, oh, you're just changing places in line. Usually that's followed by casting away into utter darkness and gnashing and wailing and total destruction. Okay? Remember the agreement, as Troy said. There's an agreement, Matthew 22, a contract. God comes to the first guys and he makes a contract. He doesn't make a contract with any of the other guys. He just says, go into the field and they believe that he'll do what is right and, they, and they're right about that and they go into the field. But the first ones, the firsters, if you will, they have a contract. So what's the obvious question? Ask the obvious question. Why did the firsters get an agreement? Why do they have a contract? Why would God enter into an agreement with workers who will produce filth? Why would God pay? Why would He reward workers who will treat His vineyard with contempt? Why would God keep His side of the agreement? And the answer to all of that is because he is God. He is who he is. He says so. I am good. He is good. He is the promise keeper. What I mean by that is there are no other promise keepers. Probably one of the most ignorant things you can say about yourself or your group, for that matter, is that we are promise keepers. No, you're not. You are promise breakers. There is only one promise keeper. If you happen to keep a promise, it is because, hmm, <laughs> it was an accident. I'm going to go a little further than that. I'm going to say it is because his goodness works through you. If you have any goodness, I found it fascinating. I'll get into this. How's my time? Oh, perfect. I can take a little break. Talk amongst yourselves. I'm kidding. Listen. There's a guy, football player, Buffalo Bills, drops a, drops a pass in the end zone, would have won the game against Pittsburgh last week. And he was a, he's apparently a, a Christian guy, and every time he catches a pass, he points to God and gives God praise. This time he dropped the game-winning pass, and he wrote on his Facebook page, and by the way, quit writing on your Facebook page. One, we don't care. Nobody cares about, you know, what you're doing at six in the morning. Ooh, it's six in the morning. I'm cold. I don't care. I'm in heavy traffic. I don't care. No one cares. What do we do? We pretend we care, but we really don't. Anyway, we used to call it CB radio when I was your age. That's what we, that's what we, that's right. And, Anyway, he put on his book face that, uh, that uh, he was mad at God for causing him to drop the pass. Oh, yeah. He said this effectively. I praise you. This is my favorite quote of the week. Things I learned from, from television news. This is what he said. Bless his heart. Uh, I praise you 24-7. And this is what you do to me. I will, I, will, I will remember this for the rest of my life. Okay, let's just take upon that a little bit. Does he praise him 24-7? No. You lie. You, you lie. Why would you lie? Here you're talking to God, and what are you doing? You're starting out by lying to him. Does he know you're not praising him 24-7 while you sleep? Hey, get your math right. But even the times you're awake, you are not praising him 24-7. That is a lie. Why would you do that to his face, if you will? It's not quite that way yet. But there will come a time when that receiver is standing before God. I hope he does this. Shuts up. I promise you, when it's my turn and you don't, you know, everybody's going to... Don't stand next to me. I'm not your attorney. You're on your own. I am not talking. Whatever he says, that's good. 
That's how it works. I am going to not say anything. I hope. I'm sure. But he didn't. He doesn't. He's in a contract with God. Is that what he's doing? If you're in a contract with God, and here was their point, and a lot of uh, commentators said this about him. Well, they liked it a lot. If God, if you're going to give God praise for everything that is good, uh, then you might as well give him also that which is bad. Let me read this part again. I am good. That's God. He is good. We'll debate later whether you catching a pass is good or not. But if you're going to be in a contract with God, you ought to make sure that it's his contract and not yours. He's not likely to honor yours. Okay, let me say that differently. He's not going to honor yours. You're going to honor his one way or the other. And you do not praise him 24-7. Quit saying things like that. It makes us look ridiculous. Okay, here we go. Uh, Where was I? You think I've forgotten where I am, but I am a trained professional. What is this contract? Hmm? What is it? What is the agreement? What does it typify? Uh, He makes a contract. Why does he make a contract? He only does it with the firsters. He doesn't do it with the rest of them. The first, they're the ones that get the contract. Why does he do that and what is the meaning of it? There's a little secret hidden there. See if you can figure it out while I move along. Now, notice those who came first, what they supposed. As it says here as we read it, first they supposed and then they complained, right? What is it? And then they supposed that they would receive more. First they supposed, then they complained, and then they accused. Yeah, who who is this? Who are these people? Because obviously this is a parable and he's trying to teach because God always teaches. Jesus Christ is always teaching. Always. So if you have a problem in Scripture sometime, it's, it's likely because you don't realize that he's teaching you something. But I really noticed this. Suppose they, they suppose they would receive more. What could possibly make them think that? Are they serious? They must be insane. Consider 12 hours. What did they do for 12 hours? And he has, he has the tape. He's God. He knows. He's omniscient. For 12 hours, what did they do? They ate his grapes. They trampled his vineyards. And then they think they're going to get more. We're going to get more. We were really, really good vineyard tramplers. We did a lot of destruction. And they are insane, by the way. This is the darkened, debased mind of Romans 1.28. They, how could they suppose they would get anything? But you see, they watched the 11th hours. Can you imagine the guys? This is why I want you to imagine it. Everybody's in the marketplace. First he comes, he takes a bunch of guys, and off they go, and they sign an agreement. Everybody watches it. Everybody knows there's the agreement. We got an agreement. Here are the working conditions. Off we go. And then he comes back. What's the first thing everyone that was there would think? It's three hours later. Why has he come back? Why Didn't he hire enough guys? Why didn't he hire enough guys? What, are the guys he hired not doing the job? Well, duh. So he hires some more guys, and he puts them in the vineyard, and he leaves again. I want you to imagine that. I want you to imagine as he's coming to get more people, and then what's he doing to the others? Leaving them behind. And what are they doing? They have a sweet little deal here, don't they? The owner comes. He leaves. Cool. The eleventh hours, those who came last, they receive a denarius. Now, I want you to think of the other guys that are there, especially the first guys. They got the agreement. We got the agreement. You don't even have an agreement. We got an agreement. We're the first guys. You got a denarius. The first guys got together at that point, and they concluded something, didn't they? What did they conclude? I want you to consider the process 
the anatomy, the steps of all of this. I want you to imagine the meeting. The group, the firsters, I'm calling them, they huddle in the back and they watch the last group go first, really come forward. A group that did nothing, hardly even showed up, barely spent any time in the field at all, didn't even get their uniform and their hard hats on straight. And they got a denarius. What do you think that group in the back began to do? Hey, they got the same as us. That ain't right. Unless what? Unless we're going to get more. They worked an hour. We'll give them an hour. Why did they know they didn't work an hour? They were there. But they said we're going to, they worked an hour. And they got a denarius. What do we get? What's the new rate? Yeah, we get 12 denariuses, don't we? Denarii. They're doing the math. We're going to get 12 times what they did. Got to happen. That's the agreement. He's changing the agreement. Imagine that meeting. A group that did nothing. By the way, did any of the groups do anything? All the groups did nothing. Hardly even showed up and they received a denarius. So what did the meeting then decide? That's what I want you to think. I want you to also... uh, What do you expect occurred at the vineyard when the workers believed the owner was not present? See, they believed... Was the owner present, by the way? Because he's what? Omnipresent. But they had to believe that he's not omnipresent, didn't they? You would think. And I want you to make the personal application. Do you ever think that you are doing something, that you are saying something that isn't in the throne room of God? Do you ever think that? Because if you do, if you think you're getting away, from, uh, getting away with something, then you are saying that God is not omniscient and that he is not omnipresent. And if he is not omnipresent and he's not omniscient, then you are all saying he is not, also saying he is not omnipotent because you can't have one of those without the other two. They are intertwined. The three are required for any of the single to be true. Does that make sense? I cannot be omnipresent unless I'm omniscient. I cannot be omniscient and omnipresent unless I'm omnipotent. I cannot be omniscient unless I'm omnipotent. I cannot be omnipresent unless I'm omniscient. Does that make any sense to you? Then you're getting weirder by the minute. But you cannot separate any one of those three out. And so if you think he's not listening to you there, you think he doesn't know, you're in big trouble again. Obviously, the meeting that these guys had concluded... They're in the back row, and they think that he doesn't know what they're doing and doesn't know what they're saying. They think the owner is stupid. They think the owner is oblivious. They think he's easily deceived. They think he's a pigeon. They think he's a mark. They think that he is someone who can be easily taken advantage of. Clearly, they do not believe that God is omniscient and omnipresent. And they mistook, and we do it too, they mistake, they mistook his love and mercy and his loving kindness and his long-suffering as weakness. They lied to his face. I want you to consider that for a moment. Standing before him, about to receive their wages. Think about that. They're standing before him. They're about to receive his wages. About to receive what they deserve. And by the way, what do we deserve? They're standing in front of him, about to receive his wages. Are you getting the picture here? And they lied to his face. Who would do that? Who would stand before God at the throne room, about to receive your wages, and lie to him, thinking he doesn't know what you did? Or what you said. Or what you're doing. Who would do that? Standing before the throne, they lie to his face. Only one type of person does that. Someone who doesn't believe. Someone who doesn't believe that Jesus Christ is omniscient, omnipresent God in the flesh. The I am, the ancient of days. Someone who will lie to the bitter end. That is a Matthew 7.22-er. Look that up in your spare time. i got to hustle. Notice again their lie. These last men have worked one hour. That's a lie. What's the lie in it? What's that? Nobody worked. 
Not the last men, not the first. They're lying. The last men worked one hour. No, they didn't. Really? This is omniscient God you were talking to. Did anybody work? Anybody? Are you thinking he doesn't know? You made them equal to us, they said. That's a what? What is implied? Clearly, they believed, the firsters, that they were superior, they were better, they were more productive, and they were cleaner than the lasters. You made them equal to us. We are better than them. Is that true? No. Everybody is equally worthless, filthy, and pathetic. Is God responsible for that? Did God make everybody equally worthless, filthy, and pathetic? Is it God's fault that you are filled to the brim with sin? No. Did God make man that way? Is God the one who caused sin? Good luck with that before the throne. Is God evil? You notice how he said, is your eye evil because I am good? Because God immediately recognizes, doesn't he, that they are calling him evil. You made us this way. You made us equal to them. We're superior. You're calling God evil if you're calling him the author of sin. That is the lie of Satan, the first lie ever told. Satan, the first lie that he took from angel to angel, traffic, by the abundance of your traffic, Ezekiel 28:16. Satan takes that lie to each individual angel. They did not have book face in those days. He had to go person to person. And yes, I know it's not book face. I just like book face. That's what I would have called it. Thank you for laughing and sitting in the front row. If you laugh at what I say, you're required to sit in the front row. Anyway, I find it interesting that the owner, God, answers one of them. Friend, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? You did nothing. I give you eternal life. You are not doing anything for your eternal life. Is that a good contract? Why does he make that contract? It's the same, by the way, friend. is the same as Matthew 26.50. I don't have time to cover it, but he says to Judas in Gethsemane, Friend, why have you come? Why have you come? He says it here, too. One of them he refers to as friend. And there is your, your reference to Satan, the lie of Satan. God knows he is being accused of doing wrong here, doing evil. And then he says this very powerful and solemn thing. He says this. Uh, Take yours and go your way. I don't have time to put it on the board like I wanted to. But take what is yours and go your way. Let me repeat it. Take what is yours and go your way. You're in trouble if he says that to you. You're in trouble. He did not say, take what is mine and go my way. He said, take what is yours and go your way. Bad news for you. What is yours what do you have that is yours? I love it. I wrote it as a, uh, <laughs> my whole life as a joke. But then I started to like the joke way too much. But on all my sodas, I did not write my name because I am one of these people. If you drink out of my soda, I will not touch it. I will run the other direction from it. It is mine, not yours. And I would write mine on all my sodas. And I started to write mine on everything because it worked out. All the tools that I could find, I wrote mine on. I still do it today. I got it from a two-year-old kid because I believe the first thing a two-year-old kid learns to say is not dad, not daddy, not mommy. He learns to say mine. 
mine. What do you have that is yours? Let's go back 1422 Genesis. What's the title of Christ? Possessor of all things. What do you have? You possess nothing. How about your soul? Do you possess your soul? No. He calls that one of his things. You possess nothing. You have nothing. So when he says, take what is yours, what do you take? Nothing. And go your way, which is the opposite of his way. How you doing? Not good. You left with nothing and you're going the wrong direction. He is the owner of the vineyard and we are not. And he is the owner of us. We possess nothing. What is the opposite of his way? What were the wages if they weren't the denarius? If you don't take the denarius, what's your wages? What is the wages, Romans 6.23? Death. Back to Romans. There is, there is the one recap. Let me read it to you. I know the band is all ready to go. I like to make them stand there, though. Gives them a taste of what I do. Troy is right. He's coming late. He anticipated <laughs> that I would be late. Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. There is your summary, your recap of Matthew 21.16, the parable of the denarius. That's his point. That's why he hires workers. That's what he's doing. He wants us to understand something about ourselves, something that David understood. He wants everybody to come to the same place. You own nothing. You have nothing. You touch anything. It becomes filthy. You destroy everything. What are you so proud of? Why aren't you humble? Why aren't you broken? David understood that, which is why he wrote what he wrote in Romans 3, 10 through 12. I'm going to read it to you really fast. There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understand. There is none who seek after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not one. That's where we have to get. Next week, we will endeavor to do that. Let's rise and be dismissed.